This week at Hope Point. He's not, he's not waving this big apostle title around, sort of domineering, say, you have to listen to me. He's getting down on their level, and the first thing he says is that I'm a fellow elder. He says, like, I know what you guys are going through. I know how hard it is to lead. When you're just a sheep yourself and you're trying to lead the flock of God, I know what you're going through. I know the fears. I know the persecutions. I know the trials that you're going through, elders. And I'm right there with you. Peter's not asking something of them that he is not already doing himself. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen now as Danielle Cabello speaks to us from 1 Peter 5. If we haven't met, my name is Dan Yacovella. I'm one of the elders uh, here. used to be on staff, spent about five years on staff. Um, and if you've been here long, you know that we are an elder-led, elder-led church. Maybe you've been through our covenant members class. Uh, you know that we are an elder-led church. We are convinced that the Bible teaches that the local church is to be led by elders. We are convinced that the Bible teaches that the local church is to be shepherd, governed, led, pick your term, by a group of biblically qualified elders. We do not believe that the Bible teaches that the church should be led by a lone pastor or lone elder. Although the lead pastor's opinion carries much weight with it because he is the first among equals, the leadership model depicted in the Bible is a plurality or group or multiple elders, and that is the model that we adhere to, adhere to at this church and that we love and that we believe that the Bible teaches. This morning, I'm teaching on eldership, but not on uh, why we believe that this is the biblical model, model of church leadership. We'll save that for another day. I am here, however, talking about how elders are to lead within the church because one, we are an elder-led church, but two, mainly because next week you're all in for a treat. Um, We're bringing on two new elder candidates, and next week they're going to be here on stage sharing their personal testimonies. So we're an elder-led church, but we don't vote as a congregation on elders, but part of the bringing on new elders for our church is the final step of presenting them to the congregation by way of personal testimony. So two new elder candidates will be sharing next week, and then we wait 30 days to see if anyone in the congregation brings anything to the elders that might disqualify the new candidates. But God willing, in 30 days or so, we'll have a couple new elders here at church. The text I'm going to use to unpack elder leadership um, comes from my series in 1 Peter that, if you can believe it or not, I started back in 2017, and uh, the last time I preached in 1 Peter was April of 2020, Um, so I'm making my way slowly through it, obviously. but we ended in chapter, chapter 4 uh, back, back in April of 2020. And to be honest with you, I've, I've been reluctant to preach these first five verses of, of chapter 5 uh, because it's an exhortation to elders. And my, my fear has been, sinful fear, I will admit, is that on the surface it appears that there's only application here for elders, right? And it, so it's a very narrow application. And I wasn't like crazy about you know, teaching something that has such a narrow application. And and also, it's, just, it's not as grand as like preaching on the cross or as complex as preaching through revelations and, and it's not as comforting as preaching through suffering. Um, but I decided that that was a sinful fear because all of Scripture is meant for all of the church, right? And so we can't skip things that we 
think aren't as exciting as other parts of the Bible. Whether you're an elder or not, you need to know how biblical elders are to function. You need to recognize the difference between good elders and bad elders, right? You need to recognize false teachers and false elders that may be serving themselves and not the flock of God. Maybe if, if you, you're called away from this church, maybe to another city, we want you to land in a church that is governed by biblically qualified elders. Maybe you're a young man that aspires to be an elder. Maybe this, in this church, maybe 10 years from now in another church, this message is for you as well. So we don't skip the passages of Scripture that are hard or that we might think are irrelevant. Our goal here at Hope Point is to pre preach the full counsel of God's Word. It will strengthen our church and it will strengthen you to have a fuller understanding of biblical eldership And this morning by way of 1 Peter 5. Now the last time I preached, I said it was a couple years ago now, right? It was the last section of chapter 4, and I titled that sermon, Think It Not Strange, A Theology of Enduring Suffering and Persecution. And in that sermon, I uh, showed you how Peter gave us sort of five pillars to hold up our theology of enduring suffering. Um, so that's, that's sort of what I want to set the scene here. Enduring suffering is the backdrop to Peter talking about biblical eldership in the church. In fact, you know through this series, the whole book of 1 Peter is about how to endure suffering. It's to the suffering church. And so I find it interesting, really fascinating, that Peter, in this letter to the persecuted church, thinks it's important to talk about how elders are to lead the church. So Peter just capped off his sermon on suffering with this verse, chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing well. And then chapter 5, so I exhort the elders among you. So, so Peter's like, hey church, here, here's all the reasons why you need to suffer well. And, 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 and present your soul and trust your soul to a faithful creator. Therefore, elders, I exhort you. And you're sort of like, man, that caught me off guard, right? Sort of catches you off guard. Why are you jumping into talking about eldership? Why jump to elders after having just told us to trust our souls to a faithful creator? I think there's two reasons here that are implied why Peter addresses the elders here after speaking on suffering for the church. And the first is this one. I think it's maybe the most important one. Properly functioning elders are key in God's plan to sustaining the church through suffering and persecution. I'll say that again. Properly functioning elders are key in God's plan to sustain the church through suffering and persecution. The word translated here as exhort, it's a strong word. It's Peter, he's really giving this urgent appeal. So this is a big deal to Peter. It's a big deal not because a group of men sort of have some special power or a unique ability that the church really, really needs. No, rather it's the responsibility that these, this group of men hold in the church. You will see that Peter uses this common New Testament imagery here with shepherd and sheep, shepherd and sheep. 
With that in mind, it helps us understand sort of this, this idea of the job of the elders in the church during, and especially during, persecution. The elders or shepherds are to feed and lead and protect the flock in the midst of persecution. Shepherds are to ensure that the sheep are well fed and they're there to protect them from predators. So in times of persecution and in various trials, God has provided us shepherds to help us endure persecution. The second reason that Peter exhorts the elders is that he's sort of like turning his attention now from individual suffering to collective suffering, collective persecution toward the church. He sort of turns his mind. And if you remember in this verse in chapter 4, he said this, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. This is a quote from Ezekiel. And it turned Peter's mind to church persecution, collective persecution in the church. And if you remember in my sermon, I said that this, this word judgment here is not condemning judgment. This is like a purifying uh, judgment, a cleansing judgment to, to help strengthen the church. This was testing type of judgment. And it was Peter's way of saying to the church, suffering and persecution is coming. Which as a church leader sends, sends Peter's mind right to the, to the leaders of the church. And he's, he's like, be ready. Persecution is coming, elders. Therefore, do your job for the flock of God. That's why he's going this route. What you are doing and how you are doing it is of first importance, elders. So I exhort you, I appeal to you, I urge you. And what is he going to urge us to do? He's going to urge us to shepherd, just like the chief shepherd. But Peter, before he goes into this exhortation, he sort of gives, him, gives the elders of the church here and the church sort of why he can give this sort of, sort of urgent plea. He says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Peter gives these three qualifications. Three reasons why he's qualified to make this exhortation. And you see, he, he could have introduced himself as an apostle. That's how he started this letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he could have said to the elders, Hey, elders, I exhort you as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he would have been right and he would have all of the authority. And that's all he would have needed to have done. To get their attention, to show them that this was an urgent plea. But he doesn't do that. Because he's sort of modeling, I think, Christ. He's, he's following the lead of our chief shepherd and he's exhorting these elders with a sort of tenderness. He's not, he's not waving this big apostle title around, sort of domineering, say, you have to listen to me. He's getting down on their level and the first thing he says is that I'm a fellow elder. He says, I know what you guys are going through. I know how hard it is to lead when you're just a sheep yourself and you're trying to lead the flock of God, I know what you're going through. I know the fears. I know the persecutions. I know the trials that you're going through, elders. And I'm right there with you. Peter's not asking something of them that he is not already doing himself. So he says, I exhort you as a fellow elder. He also says, I exhort you as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So this is a continuation of, of this same phrase. So you could read this as, as a fellow elder and a fellow witness of the sufferings of Christ. 
For sure, Peter was unique. Like he actually witnessed the sufferings of Christ, but he's also reminding the leaders of the church that they too are to testify to the sufferings of Christ. He says, I'm a fellow witness with you. This is what shepherds do. This is how you feed the flock of God that is among you by witnessing to the sufferings of Christ, to testifying to Christ's sufferings. And I love that Peter brought this up because I think this makes him very vulnerable to because remember, he, he did witness the sufferings of Christ in his earthly ministry, but where was Peter in the climax of Christ's suffering? He was hiding in the shadows, right? Certainly, the mention of this would have brought up memories of his failure to identify with Christ. At Christ's hour of need, Peter denied him three times, and I love this thought because it demonstrates that we're all broken people including your elders. Like Peter, we've failed, we've made mistakes, and if we're not careful and vigilant, we will fail again. Peter says to your elders, I've been there and done that, and through repentance, restoration to Christ is sweet. So Peter here is a fellow witness with us. He says, I exhort you as a fellow elder, I exhort you as a fellow witness to the sufferings of Christ. And then he says, I also exhort you as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. I love this because it comes right on the heels of him talking about, almost mentioning his failure. There, there is restoration in Christ when there is repentance and glory is coming. The apostles, if you read the Bible, the apostles never mention suffering without also mentioning the glory that is coming. And I love this. The same is true for those who take up the responsibility of elder. Peter is a companion in the glory that's coming for all of us. Share in Christ's sufferings now, share in Christ's glory later. It's the share, share rhythm of Scripture. Share now, share later. So Peter is a fellow witness, he's a fellow elder, and he's a joint heir in the glory that is coming. Now, when you get into verse 2 and 3, Peter jumps headfirst into the meat of his exhortation. First, he's going to tell us uh, what elders are to do when they're leading and how they are to lead. What they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to lead. Let's read 2 and 3 in their entirety. Shepherd the flock of God, he says. So, I, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. Peter describes two responsibilities here of elders, and they are shepherd the flock of God and exercise oversight. Shepherd the flock of God and exercise oversight. Let's take those one at a time. Shepherd the flock of God. What, is, what does this mean? I didn't realize this when I was putting, when I was sort of approaching this sermon, but Peter has so much in here that he learned from Christ. It's really a simple message. He's just repeating what he learned from Christ. And he calls elders to shepherd the flock of God, something he heard directly from the lips of the resurrected Savior. Right? He's telling us exactly what Jesus told him, if you remember this John 21, 6, he said, this is Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep, or tend my sheep, 
the other two times, just feed my sheep. Tend my sheep here. This is the same exact Greek word that's used as shepherd in 1 Peter 5, 2. So tend my sheep. The other two times that Jesus tells us to Peter, he says, feed my sheep. So what is shepherding the flock of God, elders? It is feeding the sheep. Obviously, this is not actual food, right? We're not serving you food here every morning, every Sunday morning. Jesus says that whoever comes to me will never hunger again, right? And we know that scripture says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Shepherding is feeding, and feeding is preaching and teaching the word of God. That's the number one job of the elders. That's why I love this church. That's why, main reason why we came here. Because every week we get fed a full course meal of the word of God. And that's what we need most. The elders have structured the church so that our lead teaching elder has the time to prepare a meal for us every single Sunday. Sadly, this is not the case in most churches in America. Many sheep and many churches are starving, wanting to be fed the word of God, but just left with crumbs or nothing at all. A.W. Tozer, in the preface to his book, The Pursuit of God, says this. The hungry sheep look up and are not fed. It's a solemn thing and no small scandal in the kingdom to see God's children starving while actually seated at the Father's table. This is what elders do and ensure happens in a church. We are committed that no sheep goes hungry here at Hope Point. This happens on Sunday morning, obviously through the preaching, but it continues to happen through small groups and Bible studies. It happens through biblically accurate worship songs and one-on-one conversations and counseling sessions. Jesus says to the elders, feed my sheep. And Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is what elders do. And notice, notice that both Jesus and Peter are careful to say whose sheep they are, whose flock it is. Look, look Peter says it. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Elders need to understand that the flock that God has sovereignly brought among us is God's flock. It's biblically inaccurate for the elders to say, we need to shepherd our flock, right? It's, it's not Richard's flock. It's not the elder's flock. It's not the staff's flock. This is God's flock. And that should bring with it a sense of humility and stewardship. Like, this is not something that we own. This is, this is God's flock. God is the owner. We'll see in, in just a minute that about the, we'll talk about the chief shepherd, but know that church elders are merely under shepherds to the chief shepherd. More, more on this phrase. Notice that Peter doesn't say shepherd the flock of God and, and goes on. He says shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And I think this is important. I think it implies two things. First, that elders are also sheep because they're among the sheep. We give out this little book to elder candidates for them to read as they're considering eldership. And um, in that book, it, it calls this the sheep as shepherd's paradox. 
right? Elders are leading while at the same time crying out to the chief shepherd for help and guidance. Like, we, we're sheep too, God. We don't really know how to do this. We need your help. Guide us. The sheep as shepherd paradox. Secondly, it implies that, and I'll use this phrase that, that's from this little book that we give out too, it implies that shepherds smell like sheep. Elders are to be among the sheep, right? They're not to be in their lofty towers of leadership. Elders are not CEOs and they're not boards of directors of some corporation. Elders smell like sheep because they are with sheep a lot. They lead by serving in the church. They lead by being with people that God has brought to the church. They're approachable because they're seen as part of the flock themselves. This is one key attribute that we look for as we consider new elder candidates. Do they smell like sheep? <laughs> Are they with the sheep? Are they already acting like shepherds? Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The second re responsibility that Peter calls out here, well, number one, shepherd the flock of God among you. Number two, exercise oversight. Won't spend as much time because Peter does this for me in verses two and three. But exercising oversight is this, this watchful, responsible care. And again, the shepherd-sheep imagery helps us here. The shepherds are to protect, right, the flock from wolves and other animals that might harm the sheep. Exercising oversight means protecting the flock, being on guard for the flock. Paul says this in Acts 20 to the elders of Ephesus. Be on your guard for yourselves and all of the flock. We got to be ready for the wolves and false teachers that might come in. Exercising oversight not only means guarding the flock or protecting the flock, it also means setting direction and casting vision. Think of Christ, our good shepherd from Psalm 23, how he leads the sheep beside still waters and he leads them in paths of righteousness, right? Shepherds lead. They set the course where God is going and they lead the flock in that direction. So two responsibilities. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you and exercise oversight. This should point us to Christ, right? If Remember a couple chapters ago in 1 Peter, Peter says this, for you were straying like sheep, here's the metaphor, sheep shepherd again, but have now returned to who? The shepherd and overseer of your souls. The same exact thing that the elders are supposed to do for the church is what Christ is doing for us. Peter is telling us, elders, be like Christ. Christ does this for our souls. Do this for my flock, Jesus says. Now Peter drills down into how to exercise oversight, right? Because this could go really bad because we're sinners. We're sinful. And leadership can go bad if you're not careful. So Peter takes some time here to drill down into how the elders are supposed to exercise oversight. And he gives... Three qualifiers. Let me read the verses in their entirety. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being example. So he gives what I call three opposing qualifiers. Here they are. Exercise oversight. Don't do it this way, under compulsion, but do it this way willingly. Exercise oversight. Don't do it this way for shameful gain, 
do it this way eagerly. And then finally, exercise over his life, not as domineering over the flock. Don't, don't domineer my flock. But being examples or role models. The first two here are sort of internal motivations. Like what's driving this elder to want to be an elder at all? And then the last one is how to interact with the flock of God. So the first qualifier, it deals with the desire so it's not under compulsion, meaning there's not a pressure making this elder feel like he has to serve. The pressure can be external. Like, hey, we really want you to serve, come serve, and you don't have the courage to say, it's not the right season of my life right now. Or this can be internal. Like, oh, they asked me to serve, and, and man, I'm going to get a seat at the table. I'm going I'm to be seen as a leader. And then you have this sort of internal pressure. In opposition to this compulsion, Peter says that elders should be serving willingly. It's their joy to serve. There's no pressure internally or externally making them do this. We have elder term, we have term limits and built-in sabbaticals to our elder rotation. But even in the middle of an elder rotation, if an elder were to come and say, my life is crazy right now, I can't do this for X, Y, Z reason, I need, I need a rest, the, the answer is almost immediately yes. Because of this, elders are not to serve under compulsion, but willingly. One requirement to be an elder is the actual desire to be an elder, willingly. The second qualifier here is exercise oversight, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I think everybody knows what shameful gain is here, right? It's greedy or dishonest gain, and it's obvious that those who are out for dishonest gain, especially within church leadership, are repulsive. But Peter has to say it because of our sinful nature, it can, go, it can get this bad. And we need to watch out for it. But shameful gain's opposing virtuous quality is called eagerly here. Like, like serve with enthusiasm. Not perfectly, of course, but, serve, but serving as an elder should sort of bring some measure of excitement. You could say this same thing this way. Exercise oversight, eager to meet the needs of others rather than seeking gain for yourself. So this, this qualifier here is like, is, 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 is say, stay away from being self-focused. Elders need to be others focused. Look at the third qualifier. Exercise oversight, not as domineering over the flock, but as role models, models or examples. Domineering, we've all been around that, and it's a toxic leadership style, right? Whether inside the church or outside of the church, and especially with inside the church. It means overbearing control, unreasonable exercise of power. This sort of has echoes like military language, because it means bringing something into subjection by use of force, right? That's not what church leadership is, is about, right? And here again, we have Peter simply just regurgitating to us what he learned from Christ. Matthew 20. Jesus called them, this is, he called the disciples to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. They dominate them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
Jesus says the Gentiles operate this way. They lead this way. People that don't know God lead this way and it ought not to be so within the church. Peter in an indirect way is pointing us to Christ's leadership because when Christ talks about leadership, he talks about serving. He talks, he talks about giving. He talks about sacrificing. He gave his life for many. Peter uses this phrase in 1 Peter 5, 3, not domineering over those in your charge. I think he does this to remind us how ridiculous it is to lead in a domineering way. These sheep are not ours. They're God's sheep. So why would you shepherd this flock in opposition to the way Christ is telling us to lead? These sheep are simply in your charge for the moment, so don't lord it over them. This word translated uh, in your charge in the Greek here, it, it sort of suggests God's providence. In fact, in the NASB translations, it translates this word as allotted. And it, it, it's used in the Greek Old Testament a lot to describe how God allotted things to the Israelites. And so the idea here is that you are not here under this leadership and this leadership is, is not leading this uh, flock of God by accident. This is by providence. This is what Peter's getting at. For, for whatever reason, we are linked together. This leadership with this flock, this flock with this leadership. And Peter says, why would you domineer? So what are, we, what are we to do? How are we to exercise oversight if we're not going to do it this way? He says, be an example to the flock. So what, what does he mean by being an example? I think the immediate context tells us, right? He's talking about a leadership that has a domineering style. And so the opposite of that is being an example in humility. And, and Peter's about to talk about humility, Right? So elders are supposed to humbly lead in humility. Being example means leading others in humble obedience to God by being yourself humbly obedient to God. And just like the apostles and scriptures always do, if you lead in this way, what's the reward from verse 4? Elders and the chief shepherd and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus is referred to here as the chief shepherd. So when a flock got so big that one shepherd could not handle it, it was set up a chief shepherd and then under shepherds under there would take care of different parts of the flock. That's what this is. The same is true for church elders in their relationship to the flock and the chief shepherd. The Greek root word here for on chief shepherd. So this is one word in the Greek, chief shepherd. But the root word of it is ark. That's why they get this chief here, ark. Kind of like archangel, like lead above all, all others. Christ is our ark shepherd. He is the great shepherd bringing with him the great reward. So the motivation to shepherd properly is future reward. We're looking for, for our ark shepherd to crack the sky. In return, Edmund Clowney, on his um, commentary on this section, said this, I love this, what the wicked most dread, the redeemed most desire. And that is the appearing of our ark shepherd. 
So what's the reward? They, he calls it this unfading crown of glory. So this word here, unfading, is, is a flower actually in the Greek, and I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce it, but it's, it's, a, it's like this flower that never faded in color. And it's used to signify eternal radiance. And so in Greco-Roman culture, the, the winners of athletic events would get these crowns, some leaves, you know, a crown of leaves or, or gold maybe or, or whatever. Here it says this crown's unfading. This is the crown that's coming. Contrast that unfading crown of glory with the withering and falling flowers of the glory of this world. Back in 1 Peter 1, 24. Peter says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. And here we get to the end of this book on suffering and we see that there's a flower that does not fade that's coming. Live for the unfading flower, not for the flowers that fall in this world. He says to the elders, work not for selfish gain, but for the unfading crown of glory. The reward serves as motivation for shepherding the flock of God when it's hard, when it's inconvenient, when it brings suffering, when it brings persecution. Look to the chief shepherd that is coming, he says. And now in this last verse in my talk this morning, Peter sort of briefly goes to everyone else. And I actually, I sort of, thought, do I, do I need to put this verse with this section? And the answer was yes, because he says likewise, or in the same manner. So this urgent appeal that he starts with elders, and he spends a lot of time on elders, he also is urging the rest of the church. He says, likewise, you who are younger, subject, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is an urgent appeal. This word younger here. So Peter's been talking to the elders, right? And everything I've read here, this, this word younger here is referring to all the rest of the church, the sort of the non-elders. And it's, it's in the context, he's talking elders, and we know that that's not age, that's position. And so the opposite of elder, he just calls younger here. So the use is for the rest of the church. And he says, be subject to the elders. You know, I, I know that it's not popular these days submitting to anyone, right? But this is the God-ordained structure for the church. And Peter exhorts the church to submit to the elders who have been commissioned to be their shepherds. Submitting to the elders is a willingness, willingness to support the elders' direction and leadership unless those elders direct you or lead you to sin, obviously. And this takes humility and it takes trust, which is why I think Peter spent so much time telling the elders how to lead in order to gain trust. He says, be subject to the elders. And then it's like one sentence um, for non-elders and then he jumps right back to everybody, right? Clothe yourselves all of you. Now he's talking to the whole church, elders, church member alike. What, do you, what does he tell them? Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is strong language. 
He says operate this way because arrogance evokes God's opposition while humility evokes God's grace. Church, let's not act toward one another in a way that God opposes. Peter's calling us to act this way toward each other because this is God's character. This is how God operates. And if we lead in a domineering way, if we're not humble in the way we act towards one another, it brings about God's opposition. But acting in humility brings about God's grace. And isn't that what we want? That's what we need is God's grace. And humility is not just this absence of pride. And it's not just the absence or, or maybe it's not the, the awareness that you have limitations. You know, sometimes we think as humility that way. It's just, oh, I'm aware of my limitations. That's part of it. But Christian humility includes serving others. Remember Christ's instruction? He said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And Paul told us to have the mind of Christ. By what? Or how did Christ act? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is how Christ led his church in humble service. He, humility is, is, I define it this way sometimes, taking a lower position in order to serve others. This is what Christ did. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, took a lower position in order to raise somebody else up. This is how we lead. And Peter says, clothe yourselves in this act. Clothe yourselves. I'll finish with this because I, I love this picture. You know, this idea of clothing yourselves in Christian virtues is pretty common in the New Testament. But here it's really specific. And, and the way it's said in the Greek here is talking about tying uh, a, a servant's apron around your waist and serving. And again, this is Peter talking and he's just saying to us what he learned from Christ. And, and who did Peter know that tied something around his waist and then did the, the greatest act of humility that probably Peter ever saw up to that point? It was Christ. John 13, 4. Jesus laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. This is Christ at the Last Supper, getting up from the supper table, tying a servant's apron around his waist and getting down and washing the feet of the disciples. This is the type of leadership that Peter is calling us to. This is the type of interaction with each other that Peter is calling this church to. This is the kind of humility in the church that Peter is exhorting us to, whether you're an elder or not. The church does not function properly unless there is this level of humility and it starts with the elders. So shepherding Shepherd leadership means feeding, leading, and protecting the flock by humbly serving the flock of God, just like our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for many. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.